day, good people, and welcome to episode 7 of the Born Human podcast. Today I am joined by one of the most tenacious people I've ever met, Mr. Wes Johnson Ellis. Wes is one half of Two Dads UK. He is also a co-founder of My Surrogacy Journey, which we will talk about in depth on the podcast. Um, but Wes has had a really interesting journey in parenthood, so it's a real privilege to have him on here today to explore a complicated journey both in relationship history, sexuality, and being true to yourself and being honest with who you are. Every time I talk to Wes, I feel inspired by his attitude to wanting what he wants in life and not taking no for an answer. So I hope that this conversation fills you with admiration, inspiration, and positivity around um, what is possible in parenthood and how families can be born out of adversity and challenge. This is absolutely a conversation of our times and so relevant to today's society. And so without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this fascinating conversation as much as I did, Mr. Wes Johnson Ellis. So welcome to today's Born Human podcast. Today, I am very fortunate to be joined by someone who's become an increasingly uh, present part of my life, I suppose, by, through my old business with Kid and Bear and now, um, or current business, I suppose, that's still going. Um, and now with Born Human, we are lucky to be working together as well. Um, Wes Johnson Ellis. Hi, Wes. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Andy. Thank you very much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on. So Wes is uh, one half of Two Dads UK. I think that's right, isn't it? That's a fair reflection. I always, I always said a better half, but the, Michael gets evil. <laughs> well, he's not here to argue today, so I think that's fair enough. Today, you are definitely the better half. Um, and also founder of My Surrogacy Journey, which is, um, we, as born human, we're very proud to be working with um Where's Michael and all the people that are part of that organization to help people build new families. Um, so yes, welcome, welcome Wes. And thank you for coming on. Um, Wes and Michael, I think as a couple have had a, a long journey. I think that's a fair reflection and probably quite complicated. And so, yeah, give us a bit of background to your family, Wes, and kind of who they are now and your growing family, I suppose, who, who are they and how, what does it look like for you? Yeah, perfect. So uh, Michael and I have uh, three children, two of which we had through surrogacy. Uh, I have a, a, she's nearly 17 and bust into drive, uh, <laughs> a daughter called Katie from a previous heterosexual marriage. Uh, and then we have uh, Tallulah, who we use surrogacy uh, to create our family. So Tallulah is almost five. And then we have Duke, who's a little boy. And he is, he was two last Thursday. So yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been a roller coaster, but I really wouldn't change it. Yeah, well, I can. I mean, you know, knowing you guys, I could I can understand that now. I mean, as I say, it's it's been complicated, and we'll get into that, I guess, in terms of getting to this point. But it's wonderful to see that you know that a family can be born um, despite all the adversity and challenges that you're kind of presented with in that way. So, tell me yeah. about your your life. Um, before Michael then and kind of when you uh, before you came out as gay and kind of in 
heterosexual terms, I suppose. Yes. Yeah, so uh, when I uh, was in my early adulthood, I uh, kind of, my brother's also gay uh, and he was openly gay really early and he's a younger brother, but uh, he, my, my parents always wanted grandchildren. And I think when my brother came out as gay, the pressure kind of then shifted over to me. I hadn't come out at that point. Obviously I knew I was gay, but I wanted to, and I, but I don't think I was ready to accept I was gay or I was ready to tell the world I was gay. And I think you know, coming out is a very personal thing to everyone. And it always has to be in, in your time and when you're ready. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, my brother coming out meant that there was more pressure piled on me to be, you know, the, the typical uh, child and, and, and produce children for my, for my parents. Uh, so, you know, my my mum, who isn't allowed, who isn't with us anymore, but she was desperate to be uh, a grandmother and made the most amazing grandmother. So I, you know, started living that heterosexual life. I met uh, who's now my ex-wife, uh, and we got married in Cyprus. And everything was. I, th I thought I could manage uh, being gay, and I thought I could manage it. And you know, we we had Katie. Uh, and then it become it became really apparent that I just I just couldn't continue to live to live the life uh, try, hiding who you are constantly and trying to manage who you are so people don't recognize some of the characteristics is really tiring and really exhausting and really hard to maintain. Uh, so and I'm just from a mental health point of view as well. You know, for me, you know. I, and, and I think this is also about you maturing as a person and starting to see the world differently uh, and actually starting to be more comfortable with who you are. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, when my eldest daughter Katie was, was one, I decided that I was going to actually make that move and do something that was right for me. So uh, I ended our marriage, I moved out and I started living a life which was more true to myself, really. Uh, and that was as a, you know, as a gay uh, dad to my eldest daughter, Katie. And what, you know, what, what was really interesting is I never came out to Katie uh, and I just kind of was living my life and I didn't want my sexuality to dominate my relationship with my daughter. Yeah. So I just kind of got on living my life. And then when Katie was a little bit older, uh, and, and when I'd met Michael, and, and we can talk a little bit about how I met Michael in a second, but I remember taking Katie home uh, back to her mum's uh, yeah. after I'd spent some time with, with her and Michael. And I never had the conversation with Katie around my sexuality because I didn't think it was appropriate. Uh, but she just she just turned on and said to me in the car, and, and the car for us is a place where we have conversations because no one can go anywhere. And if I ever have to have tricky conversations, it's in the car because I've got their attention. Yeah. Uh, and Katie just turned around to me and said, it's Michael, your boyfriend. And I remember my feeling my face go red as if to hug my hands. And I just said, yes. Yeah. And looked at me and said, oh, okay. And then, and then from that point on, it was never an issue. She yeah. always, always knew. Uh, so, you know, that, that for me was one of those things where I never really had to tell her. She just always knew. Yeah. But it was, never, it was never an issue. Yeah. And, there's as a dad as a gay dad uh there's always those elements where you have to think about the impact of you on your child and what happens when she goes to school and what happens here and what happens here 
Yeah. Those are always at the forefront of my mind, but you know, that's just one of the things that extra things that need to really be considered when you're a same sex couple with children. Yeah. Well, it's an additional component, isn't it? But I think whenever, you know, whenever the stability of a child's um, home is kind of unsettled, then I guess regardless of whether it's as a result of being gay or just breaking up or kind of whatever it might be, you know, it takes, it takes the right kind of attitude to kind of say kids first because they didn't choose to be in this. We've got, if we're choosing to walk, walk a different path and we've kind of got to walk that with them in mind and always kind of thinking about them. And it sounds like you, you know, you did that for a long time kind of thing in terms of trying to manage that. How old were you when you, re- when you knew you were gay, how old do you think you always knew it in, inside kind of thing? Always knew. We're really from a real early age and, you know, but I've had this conversation with Michael and, and, and other friends and, you know, they, they always knew, you know, and maybe, and maybe that's not like that for everyone, but for me, I always knew I was different. I always knew there was something that wasn't the same as other people. And there was always something that didn't allow me to feel how, generally everyone else was feeling if that makes sense yeah and how was it with like um with your wife and and kind of did she feel like she always knew or was there like a was there kind of a nagging doubt in the back of her mind kind of thing or when you decided to break up was it a surprise or yeah so when when I uh ended our relationship I didn't tell her at that point because for me I wasn't ready to 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 make that step it was you know small steps at a time uh and and then you know the relationship generally wasn't working anyway and we knew why it wasn't working uh but and then at a later stage uh i had the conversation with her about it and and you know she 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 didn't know she didn't have any any kind of inkling about what i was yeah. uh, but she she after at a period of time she was she was okay with it and we still maintain a really good relationship and that relationship is ultimately about is is centered around our daughter and mm. and the fact that we co-parent you know you know with 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 Katie and you know I'm I'm constantly having conversations with uh, my ex-wife about parenting decisions and what happens here and what happens there and you know the last thing was a school prom and a school dress and all of the uh, all of those components and the next thing is that she wants a car and she wants to learn to drive and she wants to go to a rave so we're we're now having want to go to a rave i've got to be honest i kind of missed that boat it was just i was too young to get there when it was really going off and then since then you know it all got shut down you know maybe i'll go uh, maybe we'll all go Let's all go. Yeah, well, well, I might go with her. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she'd like that. No, no, I think she probably wouldn't. Yeah, but um, yeah. So, I, I mean, how obviously, how old was she when you when you had that conversation about Michael being your boyfriend and kind of, and then it was kind of all out in the open. Yeah, I think she was about uh, seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So really, like, I mean, emotionally aware kind of thing, and, and actually really grown up for her age, really at that stage. Yeah, and I think I think that you know, for me, when I was uh, a single dad, uh, I always had lots of gay friends, you know, and that wasn't I didn't always have that, but when I actually started living my new life, I I, I found lots of people like me, and yeah. I I and she was always part of that. There was never it was never anything I hid, and you know, and I think she's 
she's a lot more emotionally mature because of the people that I introduced to and the experiences she has, you know. So I was living in central Birmingham. I was, you know, enjoying that, that, that gay lifestyle. And, uh, the, you know, the weekend she'd come and stay with me, she'd come and be part of that. I mean, obviously I wasn't taking her out clubbing and stuff, but, you know, I, I, had, I had a very, you know, big social circle and that was important to me. And, and she just became an extended part of that. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, like one thing that really sort of strikes me with is the fact that regardless of what I think that certainly in, in Britain or in, with Britishness of, you know, not broaching difficult subjects. And that, that's still a problem these days. You know, whenever there's a taboo subject, you know, people are still more comfortable, I think, in general to kind of bury it than kind of deal with it. When actually, I think for every, for everyone, if you're able to kind of, be adult about it face up to the fact that this may not be conventional it may not be kind of easy for us to process but actually the best way through it is to process it and to find a place that works for everyone involved um so really you know it probably speaks of her emotional intelligence in terms of you know, as a parent it sounds like you took that approach with her which and kids learn from that don't they you know they learn to be more emotionally intelligent because you are their peer effectively you are their mentor as such um, yeah totally, totally and I think we always had conversations and, and I think if there was anything she wanted to understand then we had I, I needed to find an appropriate answer uh, because mm. I think I wasn't changing and I need to equip her with the skills to be able to deal with it because you know there are going to be times when she then has to explain that you know her dad's gay or her dad has a boyfriend or her dad's now married you know she has to be able to manage that within her own peer group and it's my job as a parent to give her the skills to be able to deal with it yeah yeah for sure and be able to support her through that kind of you know the times when she can't quite get the answer or she's not quite sure how to process that you know you you have a responsibility in that the same way as any parent does you know like working through any difficulty for children that's it and I don't think it's necessarily about the fact that the fact that I was gay was one component that I needed to equip her with you know kids need equipping with with skill sets to, to you know to teach them and get them ready for life generally and this was just another one of those components yeah yeah for sure so uh when did you meet Michael then how did that was that in Birmingham while you were there or it was so I was living in central Birmingham uh, well I was I had a place in Birmingham but I was uh, working on the Olympics in 2012 so okay. I, I had a place in London and then I was coming back and forth uh you know every other weekend and stuff to see Katie but this particular weekend it was Birmingham Pride and Birmingham Pride is such a celebrated and probably one of the bigger uh, prides in the country yeah. so uh, I had always had a really amazing time at Pride with my friends so uh this particular Pride it was 2012 uh and I was out with my friends uh, we we customary do what we call pride brunch so we have uh, a bubbles filled breakfast before a pride so I'd already had quite a few drinks and I remember seeing Michael walking into a bar our eyes connected and we just kind of uh, started talking and then we kind of got split up uh, and then what typically happens at Pride is you have a daytime outfit and then you have an evening outfit, so you go and change. Uh, so Michael had left. We'd got split up and I just, you know, thought that was it. Uh, Michael had left to go get changed and was coming back in and I was going out to get changed and you have to go through these security lines to get through. Yeah. And uh, bear in mind, there's probably five entrances. 
there's probably a hundred thousand people there uh, yeah. and Michael and I decided to connect again through the same entry point coming back in so <laughs> at that point uh, we kind of just kissed and then the rest I will say is history because yeah. we didn't really were very much apart from each other from that point so uh, and then uh, after about six months because I was working on the game so my life was consumed by 2012 but after about six months of, of dating uh, and after the games we went on holiday to the Maldives and Michael proposed to me and at that point uh, I think it took me about 20 minutes to answer and it always gives me uh, jip about that because <laughs> it wasn't that I didn't that I was thinking about it but for those of you who know me, I'm quite a control freak. So I, it, I was just totally uh, taken off guard and, and I was just trying to process it. But yeah, I, I, I said yes. And we've been married now. Uh, it was our anniversary in August the 9th. Uh, so we got married uh, in 2014, the year that uh, same-sex marriages were legalised. Uh, and uh, yeah, so here we are today talking yeah. to you. Married for seven years, but been together for nine. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it must be quite a, a really liberating feeling to feel like you've known who you are for that long and then to sort of find the person that you completely connect with and that you're, you know, you want to settle down with in a way that feels like is truly you and authentically kind of who you are. And it must be quite, it must have been quite a euphoric feeling to be like okay I've been through marriage once and that didn't feel right and this totally does and knowing that you know you're able to move forward with life with you know cooking with gas kind of thing knowing that you're, you're kind of moving in the direction that you want to go in yeah I mean you, you said you said something there which is quite prominent really and the and, and we this is our mantra and you know it just felt right and you know being in a heterosexual relationship never felt right but being my true authentic self and I know people say that all of the time but it is about you know I feel really comfortable and I think it's also an age thing as well you know I think you know I'm in my early 40s uh, and I'm comfortable with who I am I don't really give a shit what people think uh, and I you know it's just it, it is I'm just being me and and I'm comfortable enough to to be able to say that I'm happy with being me you know yeah, yeah these things I would change you know all of those things but yeah on generally you know i'm in a really good place yeah and you found found who you are which is great and so um so 2012 you got together 2014 you got married then where did what happens with children when did you decide i'm going to do the maths and work backwards but it can't have been that much longer no no no. well michael uh, michael before he met me had been in a a long-term relationship i think it was about nine years with someone who just didn't want children uh and michael desperately did uh so that relationship wasn't sustainable and ended before he met me Um, and then quite early on in our relationship michael asked me about you know the fact that i already had a daughter was a tip for him and also that you know, did I want more children? And if I was really honest, I'd never really thought about it because I wasn't in a place where I was looking for a relationship. I wasn't looking to settle down. I was just enjoying life. Uh, I was really open to uh, exploring what our options were to, you know, grow our family and and for Michael to have a biological child. So those conversations happened really early on. Michael uh, then started looking at what our options were uh, and, and how we could make 
our family a reality. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, for those of you who know us, that's what Michael does. Michael does stuff. Uh, and, you know, if he's got, if he, I'm not naturally that, that way inclined, but if Michael wants something, then he, he does all the research to understand what that looks like. And then we, we started exploring you know, surrogacy and what those surrogacy options were. Was it UK? Was it uh, international? And, you know, we get asked this a lot around, you know, why didn't we adopt? And the, the, the simple answer is we didn't want to. You know, we wanted our, our own biological children. And, you know, for some people, adoption is an option. And, you know, fair play, you know, there are, there are kids out there who need people to, to bring them into their family and love and support them. But we wanted our own biological children. Uh, so we started looking at how we could make that happen and which is you know, really the start of our journey to creating Tallulah yeah. and, and, and later on Duke. So it, it was, and it, but I think one of the challenges is that it wasn't as smooth as you think it's going to be. And uh, it, it's fraught with challenges and there's little support and there's little information to try and tell you what those routes can look like. So, you know, that that was some of the main challenges when we started our journey. Yeah. And so um, I completely naively uh, being heterosexual and never having to go through fertility, fortunately, I was lucky enough to not have to. Like what was your, what was the, the first step was research by the sound of things in terms of you working out what your options were? Yeah. Um, it's a, go on, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, what was it, you know, where, where did it go from there kind of thing and, what, and sort of how long is that journey kind of thing? Well, Michael started doing research uh, really early on in our relationship. You know, he looked at uh, what what the landscape looked like in the UK and right, really trying to understand the UK. And there's this massive perception around whether actually surrogacy in the UK is legal, just as a heads up it is. Yeah. Uh, but, and we can talk about that in a bit more detail. But And then we look, Michael looked at international options. And, and at the time we were looking, you know, India, Mexico, US, Canada, Ukraine, all of those, Cyprus, all of those were, 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 were options. Some of them aren't options anymore because it's now illegal in those, those countries. But essentially, it's about trying to understand what's the right option for you. And there are so many different options and so many different ways in which you can create your family. But ultimately, you know, you know cost plays a massive part of that. And, and it's all about risk as well. But, but also... We wanted to feel part of a pregnancy. We wanted to be there. We wanted to go to the scan. We wanted to, you know, be present. Yeah. So for exploring all of those international options, weighing up cost versus reality, and that actually wanting to be present, you know, we decided that the UK was the route for us. And that, and I remember being really anti-UK at the start of our journey. And that was primarily because I was really uneducated on surrogacy. And all I saw was risk. And I, I saw that the, a surrogate being in, an international surrogate was less likely to be part of our life and uh, potentially, you know, wanting to keep the baby. So for us, that those, those were some of those risks. And, you know, if I forward to where, where I am now, that's an absolutely valid assumption and, you know, questions to have at that stage, but those really aren't valid where I am now. So it was really interesting to... Uh, understand how I thought the journey would progress but you know we we started exploring the UK the UK landscape is complex the law is prohibitive uh, the law is is designed to prohibit people from doing it ultimately yeah uh, 
and we just tried to navigate through how we wanted to create our family. Now, Michael and I, as a as a team, we're quite tenacious. We don't accept no. We kind of, if we see something we want, we'll kind of do what we can to try and achieve it. And and that's ultimately how we created our family, without with a real lack of support and a real lack of. Uh, infrastructure in place really so you know we we just we just got on with it uh but i think and that's my my challenge now and i know we're going to talk about some of the reasons what we've created to help counter that but it shouldn't be that hard mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be that complex and it shouldn't be should be better supported and there should be help for people who want to understand what their family building options are yeah and what when you so when you first started going through it, if you take yourself back to kind of when you're doing that research and you were thinking about, because my knowledge of surrogacy largely is what I know through my surrogacy journey and working together with you, but the the difference for those people listening, the difference between like say the US and the UK is that my understanding of it is in the US it's a largely. A, there's a lot of money involved in that and there's people making money out of it. There's also people that have a different approach to it over here. It's much more kind of cloak and dagger and, and you kind of have to work, navigate your way through the alleyways to get to where you want to get to. But it's a, it's not as expensive in, as such because you're not, it's not outwardly paid for as such, but. No, yeah. So, so let me just kind of give you a bit of a whistle stop or a one-on-one on surrogacy in the UK and the U S so surrogacy in the UK uh, is, is, is classed as altruistic. So it means that a surrogate can only claim what's deemed reasonable expenses to be a surrogate for you. And there are two types of surrogates in the UK. So there's a gestational surrogate, which is a one who, which there's no biological link and she carries the baby for you. Or there's what's called a traditional surrogate, where the uh, surrogate uses hair eggs, so is biologically linked to the child and she carries that baby on behalf of the intended parents. Those are the, the two options. In the US, it's a, full, a fully commercial model. So what that means is that there are most states, it's legal, some states it's not. Uh, all parties will have contracts in place. Uh, you would need to find a lawyer, insurance, surrogacy agency, fertility clinic, all of those components. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a massive variation in price in the US, you know, it can cost you up to 160,000 US dollars, whereas service in the UK, on average, uh, can cost you between 30 and 40,000. So mm. there is a massive difference. Uh, from a time point of view, if you're looking at surrogacy in the UK, you're probably looking at a wait time of between one and two years. In the US, depending what state you go, you know, it can be much, much shorter. Mm. So those are the typical landscapes. Now, there's a massive perception. Now, surrogacy in, in the US is, it's, you know, it's very widely well known. It's it's probably the safest place in, in the world to do surrogacy because of the infrastructure and the laws in place to protect all parties. Whereas the UK, it is actually legal to do it in the UK, but it has to be done altruistically. No one can profit from surrogacy. And uh, it's often it's it's based on trust and friendship in the UK because the, the, the law doesn't recognize those relationships, which is 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 a challenge. But you know, surrogacy is absolutely legal. And unfortunately, surrogacy in the UK 
does take a bit of a, a hit on its reputation because people, it's unknown. People don't know a lot about it. It's still one of those taboo subjects, really, where people, you know, the first thing they say, well, is the surrogate going to keep the baby? There's lots of kind of, you know, myths and, and things that people believe about surrogacy. And, and it's and one of our missions, whether it's through Two Dads or My Surrogacy Journey, is to try and help change people's perceptions of surrogacy. One, to help intended parents more, so, so that they understand that there are viable options to help them build their family. Mm. But secondly, help people become more surrogates. You know, there's a massive shortage in the UK with surrogates. And I think a lot of that is, for some people, being a surrogate just isn't an option. And that's absolutely okay. But for some people, they would love to explore it. They just don't know how to. And they don't know enough about it. So that those are the two kind of elements within there. Now, you know, in the UK, the law is is very uh, restrictive. So uh, you can't advertise for a surrogate. It's actually a criminal offence to do that. Uh, and you know, there's there's all sorts of restrictions. But you know, all being well, the law is currently being reformed. As we, Michael and I, but particularly Michael, have been heavily involved with the law reform, trying to make it more fit for purpose. That law, that law was created in 1985. And families are created very differently now to how they were when that law was put in place. And uh, there's there's much more, there's, there's many more routes to creating families. So we just need a law that recognises all of the routes to, to family creation and gives everyone the protection that is needed to ensure that they can do it as safely as possible. Yeah. It's really interesting, isn't it? To sort of, because I, I'd, the the thing that um the thing that always strikes me is that when you get to a point of uh as a heterosexual couple for example to get to a point of needing surrogacy or wanting surrogacy then you've probably gone on a pretty long journey at that point already in terms of a fertility journey to realize that that's your last chance saloon almost or well one of your last chance saloons and obviously as a homosexual couple a same-sex couple or even a single intended parent your journey is marred with an, an entirely different set of circumstances in some respects in terms of social acceptance and and kind of people kind of supporting you through that journey and being met with barriers that heterosexual couples wouldn't be met with um what were your kind of fears going into it and did you or you know thoughts and fears before you decided you were going down that road like what, what did it feel like for you both yeah and I think what you just said there you know perfectly sums up Andy you know that the landscape and of, of the different types of people who use surrogacy you know often heterosexual couples have been for a really challenging fertility journey and you know surrogacy is their probably last chance to have a biological child uh, whereas uh, same gender mm-hmm. couples they come to a surrogacy knowing that they need assistance their, their head their mindset is very different and often it's quite a celebratory mindset because it's kind of they've been thinking about it and 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 actually starting the journey is kind of moves from the, the thought phase to the actual kind of you know it's going to happen and and starting to plan it so so that that is uh massively uh, how the landscape is different but for us when we started it i think we weren't thinking too too many steps ahead around what the reality of that would would be uh, in terms of two two gay dads having children, uh, we were all quite focused on on it happening. What yeah. what stood, what stood out for us was that you know when we were eventually pregnant and we went to our first scan with 
our surrogate, her husband, there was me, there was Michael. So we went to this into this waiting room, which was just full of predominantly heterosexual, well, all heterosexual people, all single heterosexual people. And the, the four of us walk in and, you know, that everyone then kind of stops and looks as if to say, what's going on here then? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, we just got we just got used to it. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, society isn't, it's getting better, but it isn't set up really to recognise this family building creation options, you know, and some people accept it, some people don't, you know, and that's that's just where we're at, you know. We want to kind of, and that's really why our Two Dads account was created. It was about trying to uh, usualise our family situation and give people more exposure to families like ours so that, what our hope and desire was is that when our children at an age where they're at school, that people are more accepting and understanding and actually don't need to ask a question about our family setup because it doesn't matter. Mm. They can they, they they're seeing it more and more and it just becomes more of an accepted way. And that's that's kind of what two dads was really set up to do, is really kind of make people aware of that actually. We're just parents, you know, we just want to love our children. We want them to grow up, be educated and be in, in a safe environment. And just like any any other parent, you know, we just happen to be two dads. We don't want to make this this big deal of fact that we're two dads. It's just that we're just two guys who love each other. We've got children and we want we want to bring them up in a safe environment, you know, just like anyone else. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? I suppose you, you're and I think in some ways there's a blessing both blessing and a curse that we I feel quite lucky to be living and, and being a parent and a grown-up essentially in this time of life where you know I think back to being a kid the amount of prejudices that were around and you know are still around it's not, I'm not you know I'm under no illusion it's not that they've gone but there's there's improvements happening there's things changing you know pride didn't exist back in the 60s and the 70s in the way it does today because you know it wasn't as taken the same way and the same with black lives matter and all those kind of things we are growing as a society to recognize each other as human before we kind of look at all these other ancillary things that shouldn't make any difference you know we're all entitled to choice but i think what really inspires me about it is and what i feel really privileged to be is bringing up a generation that is going to start a new journey essentially they are like you were saying earlier they're going into school and school is not no kids at school are going to bat an eyelid about the fact that you're you know that their parents are same sex or you know their skin color is different or whatever it might be you know that they're they're a paralympic athlete or you know whatever it might be nobody's going to look at those things and think they're going to be past judgment on it and i'm sure you know I'm not naive enough to think that in my generation, it's going to wash out and sort itself out entirely. But I do think this is, I feel really quite, I feel quite proud and also quite empowered to be part of a generation that has the capability to change that and to see things for how they should be rather than seeing them for how they were when we grew up kind of thing. I totally agree. And it's, you know, it's really comforting to see, you know, Tallulah specifically developing in a way. And, you know, Tallulah is just such a, She's such an intuitive and, and smart child, but she also is, you know, I think kids are born inclusive, you know, yeah. they're taught not to be inclusive, you know, and when I look at how Tallulah behaves, it, it's, it, it's, it's taught behavior, you know, and I think 
for me, one of the biggest lessons is like I, the from a people understanding about you know our families. I I don't need to tell same sex families or same sex people about our family. They get it already. Yeah. The people, and I'm preaching to the choir. The the people we need to be reaching are those who don't understand how our family is made up and and why and what and where. And and because they they're the ones who are teaching their children. Uh, indifference and those are the ones that are teaching their children that our family isn't accepted because kids kids are a sponge they need to be taught you mm. know and and that's that's who we're trying to reach out to we're trying to reach those people who are gonna tell their children that our family setup isn't right yeah and I suppose you know generationally when we were kids that message was may have been delivered at home it was likely delivered at school it probably was reinforced by the the kids around them and their peers right whereas the interesting thing and the the difference for our kids generation is that that information isn't going to be reinforced everywhere in fact this whole sense of like it's okay to not be okay and like the all these kind of messages that support the idea that actually you know, no, I'm not going to let that go. I'm not going to stand here and let you, as a 14-year-old kid, say that it's not okay for, you know, me to have two dads. That That is okay. And there'll be plenty of people around them, hopefully, and I'm sure there will be, who will be kind of supporting that. And in years gone by, it was just like, well, the overwhelming majority very much agrees with the fact that, you know, same-sex couples aren't a thing whereas like now you know that we're shifting the balance i suppose the seesaw is moving isn't it and it's kind of That's tipping it. on the edge and if i look back at my own children you know if i look back at katie when she was younger yes she she was totally accepting but did she outwardly talk about her gay dad probably not because the environment that she was in didn't allow her to or give her confidence to be able to do that yeah when i look at Tallulah now Tallulah will stand from the rooftops, proudly telling everyone she's got two dads. Yeah, and, that, and that's the difference, you know. She, she, she's not, she's not remotely bothered by it. You know, we were away at the weekend, and she was on a trampoline, and she hurt her knee. I wasn't there, but I could see her from a distance, and she was talking to this other parent was talking to her, and she, and, and I think she said, "Oh, do you want to go? We want me to get your mummy or daddy." Tallulah was like, "I have two daddies." <laughs> You know, and she's, she's, you know, she purposely and forcefully will tell people that, you know, she's like, I don't have a mummy. And yeah. she's okay. You know? I mean, and that's a whole other thing that people think, you know, we're, we're, we're robbing her of, of having a mother. But actually, let's take, let's take gender out of it. This is about parents. You know? yeah. For me, is the key thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be a mum, a dad, two dads, two mums, one mum, one, one dad. It's about people and it's about parents. And that's what they need. They don't need all of those things we give we give our children everything that they need yeah and and our you know our kids have they have grandmothers they have aunties they have they have female influences in their life they have an elder they have an elder sister katie you know they're getting everything that they need yeah and and i think actually it's like um no childhood is perfect in terms of what what is brought to it um, we all have we're all left with issues from our childhood and actually as parents the conscious choice we can make is to be uh, attuned to what those challenges might be for them and actually if you're if you're ignorant of kind of the fact that you know they they might not have 
female presence in their life then that yeah sure that might be a problem if you're just surrounding them with men but you know if you're a conscious parent then actually you present them with love in the first instance and that's largely what oh love food and water and probably a bit of sleep somewhere in there as well but aside from that you'll you know as long as we're conscious beings and we're kind of looking at how we how we making our kids balanced um in the same way as it is for me right like i'm part of a heterosexual couple and my family are all heterosexual but we live in a society where everyone isn't heterosexual now i could choose to kind of not introduce my kids to gay people that would be weird for me but it would also be limiting for them right and it's exactly the same on the other side of like well if if you don't expose them to everything then how are they ever going to learn and you know no one's naively who wants to be a parent and wants to love their children isn't going to give them those kind of influences right you're going to introduce them to women and and kind of having those kind of female role models in their life to to kind of learn from no totally and and it's a you know the key word is balance you know it balances everything you know making sure that they get what they need so they feel safe they're able to uh, strive and flourish in in their environments and and you know i don't want my kids to be worrying about stuff that i because of my sexuality you know i want my kids just to be kids enjoying yeah. life and and doing everything that they need to do you know and and that's and, and and ultimately i just see people as parents you know one of the biggest this is something we haven't driven into Tallulah, but you know she at school she is the most inclusive little girl i know because at school she won't ask people if they've got a mummy or a daddy she just says where's your parents because yeah. that's the environment that she's in. You know, we don't have these stereotypical labels for everyone. It's like they're just parents, you know, and yeah. and that's and, and also they might, you know, might be carers, parents. You know, it's there, there's so many different, you know, uh, roles out there for children, uh, and we have, we have to acknowledge all of them. You know, not everyone has parents. Not everyone has a mum or a dad. You know, and then I think by using language that's more neutral and that doesn't make people feel excluded is really important yeah well totally i mean even you know in generations past adoption has been a a big thing for uh, has been a thing for a long time right and yet i imagine being adopted has been a really challenging thing in terms of you're always seen as on the outside whereas actually if you're inclusive in terms of who are your your parents who looks after you kind of thing then actually you, you kind of bring people back into the fold right and you say it doesn't matter to uh, people that love you and people that care for you. They're the ones that are kind of raising you and bringing you up. And actually you're welcome. You're welcome in our society, just like anyone else, you know, it's um, I, I'm interested to sort of go back to um, uh, call this. Uh, I don't really know what you call this, but it's interesting for me to sort of understand and to share with listeners kind of thing, how it was for you guys when Tallulah was born and kind of going through the pregnancy and, um, with your surrogate kind of thing were you were you both there at the birth were you how did that kind of function and what did that feel like for you both when she arrived yeah so uh we Tallulah Tallulah's pregnancy well so Tallulah's pregnancy the pregnancy of, of Tallulah with our surrogate Caroline was really straightforward uh we got pregnant really quickly on our first attempt and the the pregnancy you know murtered on through we we attended every scan we we attended every appointment now our surrogate was based up in Burnley and we're based in the Midlands so it was quite a, a trek uh we had some challenges before Tallulah was born around uh the the trust where our surrogate was 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 due to give birth uh they'd only done maybe one surrogacy 
uh, journey previously, very little education, uh, just really dealing with the, the, the policy of what the law says. So when we went to have our first meeting around birth planning, uh, we, were, we were just faced with all of the stuff we couldn't do. Uh, and I remember, I remember coming out of this, this session with Michael saying, again, this just doesn't feel right. I'm not gonna, we're just not gonna accept this. So we decided that we were gonna formally complain to the trust because you know there's some things that they were talking to us about, like you know, we had to hand the baby over in the car park, not on hospital premises. We couldn't have our you know our baby's wristband on, all everything that we were asking for it was no, 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 no. And we're like, this just doesn't feel right. You know, we we didn't want we didn't want Mariah singing White Lilies, a unicorn trotting through the ward. We just wanted the same experience as everyone else. Uh, and the problem and some of the challenges that, you know, maternity services in hospitals are all set up and designed around women, you know, and we don't want to change that because ultimately women give and they need that, that security, that support around them at a really sensitive time. But we just, we just needed to have an environment which took into account the journey we were on and helped facilitate us meeting our child and being part of that process. So, you know, we went back and forth and it just wasn't really going anywhere. So we had to get a lawyer involved uh, and we sued our hospital trust uh, because what actually it turned out was that there were 14 counts of discrimination. Uh, to us and it wasn't that they were intending to do it they weren't going out of their way to discriminate against us but unfortunately their policy which obviously wasn't fit for purpose uh was just not really where it needed to be so mm. yes we and we weren't we weren't trying to get any financial gain out of them we just wanted them to change their policy to allow us to be part of the, be be present at the birth and do you know one of the one of the big things for us uh was that we wanted the wristband uh, that Tallulah, when she's born, that goes on her wrist, to have our name on it. Yeah. You know, because for us, it was a really important thing because this would be the first thing that would ever have a name on. And for us, that was a really big thing. Yeah. And, and all I kept hearing from the hospital, oh, the system doesn't allow that. It doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. So we had to compromise on it. And they gave us a wristband with Tallulah's name on it. But we're just going back to uh, just pre-birth and so so we did manage to get everything uh, sorted out with the trust uh, and and everything was put in place we did we had we had amazing midwife who was work who worked with us uh, a lady called caroline broom and uh we got this our birthing plan all in place which is what we all wanted to do and then uh one evening at 2 a.m uh, we got the call say that uh, our surrogate's water had, had, had broken and that we needed to move. Yeah. Uh, bear in mind, we were a two-hour drive away. So, uh, and Katie was having a sleepover that weekend. So Katie and her friend was there, like 2 a.m. <laughs> I had to frantically get my dad around uh, to uh, collect, to, to come and stay and, and watch the kids. So we obviously had bags packed and everything ready. So we, we shot off. But then... Uh, we were in like trackies and I had a cap on we were driving and then like 2am in the morning. So we had this police car following us, <laughs> but like, it felt like an eternity, but it would following us for a good 10 minutes. So I had to do the speed limit and I just wanted to put my foot down, but last thing I wanted was to be stopped. So we yeah. were like, we did look suspect, you know, uh, but then as soon as the, we, they stopped following us on the motorway down the M6 uh, and we made it just before, they were starting to give her an epidural because 
our surrogate wanted an elective C-section yeah. uh, and we were happy with that. And part of the birthing plan was that we would be sat in a, in a side room so that she would be in the theatre with her husband. Uh, we'd be in the side room as soon as baby was born. Uh, husband would bring it through and then we would meet our baby in the side room, which was all going lovely and to plan. So Caroline went into theatre and then we were just like waiting and waiting. And then a husband, Dave, came into the room with no baby. And we were like, what's going on? He was like, quick, get some scrubs on, you go into theatre. So we we quickly got the most unattractive scrubs on. Uh, <laughs> and what had happened is Caroline, our surrogate, had asked the theatre staff if we could be there. Oh, how so amazing. We hadn't planned for that. And we weren't, we weren't emotionally or psychologically ready for that. But yeah. what happened was we went into theatre. We started to being born. It was an amazing experience. And, you know, that... What the, the you know the the overwhelming thing out of that is that we worked hard with our trust, uh, we worked together, and we created a birthing plan which was amazing. And they were amazing, you know. They gave amazing care to us. They gave amazing care to our surrogate. And you know, it was such a positive birthing experience. But because we put the work in, and you know, and so then yeah, Tallulah was born and changed our life forever. So yeah. that's that's kind of where. Of kind of our journey to, to with Tallulah, you know, and we left that same day, uh, just like we wanted to, balloons, baby carrier, and and had a really lovely experience, and then and then the, the fun started. But Tallulah was Tallulah was a, was a model baby, and, and and always has been. But yeah. and then you know if, if we fast forward to you know we 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 then after a couple of years decided that we we always knew we wanted another child. Tallulah is biologically linked to Michael created embryos using my sperm for our second child uh, we did an embryo transfer and it failed and we lost all of our embryos so we decided to kind of take a break from it because it's quite consuming mm. uh, we also decided to move clinics and but also what happened in the meantime was that the egg donor that we use for Tallulah who we plan to use again for our our second child uh, wasn't able to donate again uh, she got sick and couldn't, couldn't donate so we had to find another egg donor and we we found a friend so a lady called Francesca who's a good friend of ours she is a fertility nurse and works in a fertility clinic and she said I'll give you my eggs so uh, we did and we created more embryos in a different clinic in London we did a transfer which was successful first time and then uh, yeah, so we used the same surrogate again, Caroline. Mm. Uh, she wanted us to complete our family, which is just such an amazing gift from it's such a selfless act. And, you know, I think people underestimate the the gift of, of being a surrogate and, and what they go through to allow you to have a family. Uh, and then Duke's, uh, Duke's pregnancy was, was slightly more challenging uh, because Caroline was older, you know, uh, and we did a planned C-section. We went through the whole birthing plan again. We had the same midwife, same team. Uh, everything was so much smoother. And But we agreed early on that we'd be in theatre and they allowed us to be in theatre. So we saw Duke being born. Uh, and yeah, again, another amazing experience. And I think one of the big things for me, one of the, the big learnings is, you know, seeing your child brought into the world is such an amazing thing and shouldn't be missed. I mean, I get that some people, they, they don't have a choice and they do miss it. But if you do have a choice, I would recommend anyone to be there and yeah. be part of that, that experience. 
Is it my so both mine were born by C-section? First one was emergency, and then um, planned second time round. And I can, you said something a minute ago that was like it went much smoother the second time round, and it's sort of I kind of empathise with that in as far as like the first time was chaos and the second time wasn't. But what the one thing that really stuck out for me in both situations was like, when do you ever get a chance to sit in theatre? like awake like the only time you ever go to theater is when you're knocked out right so it's quite surreal you kind of i don't know about you but i kind of felt like i was in er or you know house or something like that kind of just sat next to my wife at the time well, still my wife <laughs> um my wife kind of like this is bizarre like you're pumping drugs into her and you're kind of like and there's a curtain and it's like do you want to come around past the curtain and it's like I don't know. I, I don't feel like I should be here, but I'm really happy I am here. But it's yeah. quite a lot to process almost afterwards, yeah. right? Like, and then, you know, the thing is, is like, you know, we went at the head end. <laughs> we were in the and we could, I mean, my I don't know how Michael does it because like Michael watches something on TV and he's nearly collapsing just at the sight of it. So to see someone <laughs> literally be cut up and, and, and go in for the child. I mean, I was quite interested in seeing it, but Michael was like, I had to hold on to him tight. <laughs> I think the adrenaline had kicked in at that point and uh you know the thought of and also with Tallulah we didn't know what we were having at that point with, with Duke we did but with Tallulah we didn't know and Michael was convinced that we were having a boy uh but and then when he realized it was a girl I think it was a lot more emotional as well on that on that basis I think you know the adrenaline had definitely kicked in because we just weren't and also for our second for Duke because we knew it was an elective c-section we knew and we knew we were going in we were so much more, we were so more nervous. We were so, so we were much more nervous then because we'd had time to th think about it. Whereas with Tallulah, we didn't have the chance to think about it. It was like it was happening there, and come then in. we just yeah. Don't you want to come in or not? Like now's the time, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, it's it is. I mean, it's crazy, and but it's like one of having children is one of life's miracles, right? Like it's the you know one of the few things that we get any influence over pretty much is I, I appreciate that with surrogacy and fertility and that we are able to kind of make a difference but ultimately like you know mother nature still rules the roost right she chooses what happens almost um and you know and it is that sort of sense of like it's a life experience that you can't get any other way and, and I certainly after after Wilbur was born was kind of like I had some processing to do um, just to sort of make some, I mean, it had been quite traumatic for Lucy, for both of us, but she was doing the hard work. I'm not, not even going to fight that one. Um, you know, so it was really quite traumatic and, you know, and then you don't get the time to kind of deal with it until afterwards. So you kind of come to it. You're so busy kind of being a parent at that point that like six, to nine months afterwards, you're like, Actually, I I wasn't comfortable with being the wrong side of the curtain, but it's like this was like nine, twelve months ago now. I didn't, you know, I didn't realise that at the time, but it's all sort of split decisions and making those quick choices, right? Yeah, totally. And I think one of the things for us that you know we didn't we didn't really consider, uh, and we only look back on it and recognise it now retrospectively, was the fact that with the same with the same gender, you know, two guys doing surrogacy you know, only one of us can be biologically linked to a child. Mm. And then there's the whole, the, those that aren't biologically linked, how do they process that? How do they, how do they deal with that? And how do they, and, and what, how does it manifest itself? You know, for us, uh, when, 
when Tallulah was born, I kind of kept it all in my head. I was going through all of this stress about, will I bond? Will she bond with me? Am I, what do I need to do to bond? So I was really sensitive about wording. So when Michael said, oh, pass me my baby, I was like, it's not just your baby, it's my baby too. And, you know, so there's all of those things to consider with surrogacy, and particularly if you're using donor, donor eggs or, or sperm. It's like, it's, it's making sure that you recognize the fact that this is going to happen, what that's going to look like, how it's going to manifest itself, but also be able to talk about it because, but, and it's, and the same thing happened with Duke but we didn't talk about it, you know. Yeah. We only talked about it when we'd had both of our children and we realised the impact it had. And it's about being able to recognise it and, and put the, the processes in place to be able to help each other deal with it. And But also about the other person being sensitive and yeah. recognising that this is happening and helping to alleviate some of those triggers and stresses that happen. Uh, what is generally a really stressful time anyway yeah well I think that's one of the things that you know I, I'm really grateful to be working with you on as part of my surrogacy journey is that you know my passion is in mental health and in parental mental health and kind of you know mental health in general but like when I think about kind of all my friends that have been through kind of either fertility journeys or trauma loss and it's essentially nobody escapes it right as a parent if you're wanting to be a parent or you are a parent nobody escapes it in one way form or another um but what really sticks out for me and what I, what I learned from having a, a son to our daughter was that actually the planning that we did to help us be better mentally prepared for what we were dealing with and the the opportunity we had to really learn from the things that frightened us the first time around and the things that we had control over or didn't have control over what i learned was that they, they shouldn't be things to be frightened of even though they will be at some degree what they should be is things that you're able to cope with and you've thought about and it sticks it sticks out for me as like um before we got married we did um marriage mentoring uh so it was like six six weeks of they were kind of evenings so it was once a week we'd sit down in the evening and we'd have with a couple uh, from the local church and they basically sit down with you and you spend two or three hours chewing the fat over all sorts of subjects. And that might be around children. It might be around your thoughts on money, on, you know, illness, uh, all sorts of different subjects. But what it forces you to do in that period is kind of think about what you're actually walking into and not to suggest that nobody's going into it for love. It's not, doesn't take away from that, but it does give you the opportunity to kind of explore. Uh, luckily we'd had, you know, nothing, it was nothing came up for us that we'd sort of felt, Oh, we haven't really had that conversation, but like money's you know, as an example is a really big deal for a lot of couples, you know, it's, it's like a thing. And, you know, there, there are lots of uh, different components that affect people. And often people don't have the conversation about them. And I think this, this is exactly that. And one of the reasons that I'm so excited to be working with you guys with my surrogacy journey is that the journey that people who go through surrogacy have been on are many and varied, complex, challenging. And in that nine months before a baby arrives, they have a window of opportunity to really explore the things that might come up and for somebody to kind of reflect into that space and say well let's have a conversation about that what will it feel like knowing that biologically it's your son but not your son um 
how will you handle that as a couple what will that mean for you know your relationship with grandparents and all those kind of things you know because actually let's hope that none of those become an issue but if you have a conversation about it and say no I'm, I'm okay with it I think at least you've thought about it yeah and I think it's about preparing and the preparedness is really important because I think the better prepared you are when these things happen you've you've already thought about them you're not then having to think about them right there and then when in a situation which is stressful yeah. if you prepare for them and this happened and for me this is about you know you as a couple your support network everyone around you it's about preparing them as well because the more you can do to prepare them for what's happening the more they can process it in advance and be hopefully in a better place you know from a mental point of view I've, I've gone through all of those thoughts had time to ask those questions work out what it means to them if they don't understand it ask more questions so that actually when you get to the point of where you know the, this is happening all of that stuff has happened and and it's evoked conversations and discussions have been had and potentially mechanisms have been put in place one of the big things that i say michael gets he just rolls his eyes every time i say it but you know, you don't know what you don't know, particularly on a journey like this. This is, yes, this is a well-trodden path, but not for everyone. You know, there are people, and often what we found is that, you know, surrogacy just doesn't affect the people going through it. You know, remember, you've got your set of intended parents to consider, you've got your surrogate to consider, your surrogate's partner, husband, wife, family, children. There, there's so many different people in the mix. And then, then outside of what, you know, you, your team working towards creating your family you've then got the you've then got the wider uh, uh group of people you've got you know support network friends family you've got healthcare professionals there's so many people that ripple out from that one team of people that need to kind of understand what's coming how is it going to affect me what does that look like and i think working with you know born human uh, to help people understand what's coming that's a really important thing and you know, like I said earlier, if, if you're in a stressful situation and then something happens, you're not going to deal with it in the same way that if you were dealing with it outside of a stressful environment and you've got time to process and understand and accept what's happening. Yeah, it's so true. And it's, you know, ultimately it's just forward thinking and, and it all kind of connects really when you think back to the conversations you were having about your relationship with Katie and kind of planning in that relationship and, you know, planning it as a couple in terms of what surrogacy looks like, doing your research. It all comes down to knowing what you're letting yourself in for, being honest about how you're feeling, sharing that and finding the right help at the right time to be able to navigate it. Right. And I think, I guess that, you know, quite neatly, I'm conscious of time, but the, um, you know, that brings you onto your fourth baby of my surrogacy journey and, and, and that, and that is a fourth baby really in terms of the amount of time and effort you're putting into it i think um yeah it, it no, absolutely is and and uh it's much harder work than any of my children i can tell yeah. you that <laughs> but uh you know so so you know thanks for that introduction andy but what typically happened was you know when michael and i finished both of our journeys i say we finished them we're still on them with our children but when we actually got to the point of having our children we looked back on reflection and we just kind of thought you know there's, there's, there's very little support, there's very little information, there's very little uh, infrastructure around to help people understand what, one, what their family building options are and what that can look like. And two, once they decide that, you know, as an example, surrogacy is their journey for them, what does that journey look like and how do they achieve it? You know, what, what is the route and how do you navigate it safely 
and and almost you know how, how do you enjoy that journey so you know we we in lockdown we'd been thinking about creating an organization which supported people better uh, with much more tailored support the more professional support rather than you know just people's opinion or peer-to-peer and we created this non-for-profit organization which is primarily designed to support but you know intended parents surrogates and known egg donors on their journey to helping create their family and it's about you know uh, it's a it's a membership based organization and intended parents can buy a membership uh, which ultimately guides them through their journey gives them an eight stage roadmap and it's designed to support them right at the start of their journey when they're trying to understand what that route looks like all the way through to the point of you know they're pregnant they're being prepared to be a parent because let's be honest no one prepares you to be a parent mm. you know it's it's hard going and you know so we wanted people to be prepared to be a parent and then once you're born give you the support that you need to help you enjoy those first two three weeks and and have an infrastructure around you to give you all the support of everything we didn't get so yeah. ultimately yeah. that's that's why we created my service journey and it's really important for us to we want to do something different. We want to make sure that we're changing the landscape. The surrogacy landscape has stayed the same for the last 10 years. That no one's doing anything innovative. No one's doing anything to help support people. And that's really why my surrogacy journey came to life through, through lived experience and the lack of, of support that we got. And for us, you know, working with partners who can add more benefits, such as born human, uh, to to our members but also you know we have a clinical team people who can give you know clinical advice to people rather than just giving people you know often people get anecdotal advice or they get peer-to-peer well actually that's not professional and it's we want to make sure that people are given accurate information that allows them to make the best informed decision for them on how to create their family well uh, you know i think it's amazing and i think it's a you know it's having sort of had this conversation and seen the journey that you've been on and how sort of complicated and how challenging it can be and, and all the ups and downs then I think it's I guess quite fitting really that it should result in something great and um yeah and I think there are plenty of couples that will will benefit from it and I'm I feel privileged to be a part of that uh, and uh, so thank you for having us as part of it and sort of making that change you're very welcome I, I do remember having conversations with you right at the start of our journey and I think you've been you know, kind of sat in the wings watching it all develop over the last six months and it has just gone mental. Uh, but, you know, the, the thing for me is that we're helping people and, you know, I have some really challenging conversations with some intended parents who've been through some really, you know, horrific loss and, you know, a really challenging fertility journey to get them to the point where surrogacy needs to be their option. And I just want to fix and help everyone and I can't, but... You know, there's just such a need for people to help other people. And if, you know, we can do more and more to help people understand how being a surrogate is more possible, which in turn helps people, you know, create their family, which they've tried so hard to get, then I'm happy. Yeah, totally. Oh, I mean, I, I echo that from my point of view. It's, it's great to be a part of changing people's lives. I mean, that's the whole point of born human in exactly the same way it's like I, d- I don't want this to happen to other people i want to see us making making smarter decisions to be better educated and to you know help navigate some of the bits that we can predict you know um 
with that in mind Wes it's been really lovely to chat to you but what for all that you've been through and all your experience what one piece of advice would you give to other people on similar journeys in whichever at whichever stage that is for them what one piece of advice would you give to people never ever give up don't give up find the right people find the people who can help you understand what that looks like for you uh, and just don't give up well that's a nice point to end it I think and actually if, if anybody is listening to this and is at that point of wanting to find out if Michael and Wes did give up I imagine if they look at Two Dads UK or my surrogacy journey they'll realise that it does pay off to not give up I guess but um, yeah thank you very much for your time it's been really great to chat to you and uh, yeah well we'll hopefully be speaking more often over the next six months as we find some babies on the way with any luck you will and we might already have a baby on the way oh wow congratulations that's amazing oh you heard it here first this is although this probably won't be going out live so the baby might actually you know be with us by then who knows but yeah oh exciting that's wonderful news congratulations thank you for having me andy it's been amazing to chat to you pleasure thanks for coming on take care it for this week's Born Human podcast a massive thank you to Wes for his honesty and for joining us this week to share his journey I know the emotional roller coaster that Wes and Michael have been through to having their family as it is today has been insane and I take my hat off to them for the amount of sheer persistence and commitment that they've given to it to, to make it a reality And for Wes specifically, having to go through that transition from being in a heterosexual relationship to being in a same-sex relationship and all that navigated around his daughter and how he got to that point. I have so much respect for everything they've done and now everything they're doing for other families in similar situations who are also struggling with their own challenges. So I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. I genuinely, every time I speak to Wes, it's nothing but inspirational. And so I'm very grateful to have had him on today. And to all of you, thank you very much for listening as ever. It really is amazing for us to have all the feedback we've had from you all and all the love that we've seen for the conversations we've had so far. So we're now halfway through the series almost. So please do like, subscribe, share, do all of that good stuff because it really gets us to a place where people can hear our stories and share those journeys. So thank you very much and we'll see you next time on the Born Human Podcast.